Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Natural Man Podcast is intended as general information for educational purposes only and should not be construed as medical advice or a diagnosis of any kind or as a substitute for medical treatment. The information provided in this podcast is not meant to replace the advice of or treatment by any physician. Do not rely upon any information to replace consultations or advice received by qualified health professionals regarding your own specific situation. If you suspect that you have a medical problem, you are urged to seek competent medical help. The Natural Man Podcast and its representatives and agents disclaim any liability for any negative or other medical or other outcome that may occur as a result of acting on or not acting on any information contained in the podcast. The views and opinions expressed by the host and all guests are their own, and their appearance on this podcast and at the website of the Natural Man Podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent and does not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Natural Man Podcast. This is the Natural Man Podcast. Julia Ross, thank you so much for being here for another episode. I'm, I'm so excited. You're a best-selling author. You're a nutrient therapy pioneer. Um, you are a guru with amino acids because we learned that in our last episode when you were uh, uh, so graciously made time to hang out with us. You're a world leader in the use of nutritional therapy for the treatment of mood problems, eating disorders, and addictions. And I want to get into that today. You've worked for decades tailoring programs for people to get over unhealthy food addictions. And we've had you on before. You shared your innovative strategies for battling insomnia, uh, which many people have found very effective. So tell me, Julia, how did you get into this work? Well, uh, which work are you talking about? <laughs> well, just the counseling in general, just just helping people get overcome addictions, helping people sleep better. You, you've been helping people in different ways for a long time. Well, that's the, the reason I ask is that I've been helping a, a quite a number of people with different problems and right. uh, over the years. But um, I actually started helping people uh, as a licensed psychotherapist here in California and uh, actually I was finishing up my master's degree and ran out of my student loan and needed to get an internship that paid and there was only one available and that was in the addiction field which I really didn't want to get into. <laughs> uh, not that I knew anything about it but it just sounded depressing I remember thinking. Uh, but, but I took it uh, I took the job and uh, absolutely fell in love with the whole field of addiction recovery and at that time there was a tremendous amount of openness in terms of experimenting with different approaches, mostly psychotherapeutic on top of the 12-step model which had been there for a long time already. Uh, we're talking about the late 70s. So. Um, That all went very well for uh, several years, uh, and uh, I became a very seasoned therapist, loved the work, our clients loved us, uh, we could hardly go home after the groups, we wanted to go on and on. It was very exciting, and then 
uh, the relapse statistics started coming in and um, we found that we had what we considered to be a pathetic 50% success rate um, and began to scramble to find even better techniques to get even better success rates for our clients. Uh, and that was just launching when the crack cocaine epidemic started uh, in the 80s, early 80s, and uh, suddenly our success rate was zero. And this was the case all across the country. Um, Are you saying this was because of the cocaine yes, era? That, cocaine okay. was just a more addictive substance than anybody in the addiction field had ever seen. Wow. Um, and we just uh, had no tools. Uh, yeah. They, they checked in, they checked us out, and they disappeared. And that was true all across the country. Uh, so really all of us in the addiction treatment field went into kind of a depression because we couldn't help anybody. Uh, most of our clients now were, were um, crack cocaine addicts and we couldn't help them. Uh, and then we uh, were fortunate enough to learn about neuroscience from neuroscientists themselves who were specializing in the addiction and the brain connection. And they explained to us that our techniques were great, um, that we were really on the cutting edge actually, but that we weren't addressing the primary problem with addiction, and that was neurotransmitter deficiency. And they explained to us that, you know, the brain could generate pleasure in a myriad of ways uh, if it was functioning properly, but that addictive substances, uh, alcohol, drugs, and uh, some years later we learned food, uh, especially the kinds of foods that are being produced now in the, in the junk food industry, uh, all interfered with that neurotransmitter function and as a result created really unbearable cravings um, and therefore uh, we're highly addictive and without tools to get into that brain and, sh and restore normal brain chemistry, um, we were all trapped. Yeah, so how did, how did um, cocaine take over the addiction world? Like, were, were there still alcoholics? Were there still other drugs that were, were in use, street drugs at that time? Or did cocaine just hijack everything? Was marijuana still being used? regularly by people oh yes but that by that time uh the insurance industry was refusing to pay for inpatient treatment and uh, so the addiction field started developing intensive outpatient programs which were equally effective uh, and um, so the, the the alcohol and the, and the marijuana addicts um, were funneled into outpatient uh, and it was only the cocaine addicts that didn't respond at all to outpatient um, who were, you know, left to, to our, uh, you know, who were our responsibility yeah. uh, as, as residential programs. 
Um, and so uh, that's why uh, I was in trouble. Uh, I happened to also have an adolescent program up and running in three counties by this time, and that was doing well because all those kids were addicted to marijuana and we were able to help them and their families beautifully. In fact, we had an 80% success rate, but crack cocaine was a whole new world and none of those tools really uh, were helpful. So prior to the neuroscience discoveries, the neurotransmitter science and the use of those, um, cocaine was just, a, a cocaine addiction, a addiction was untreatable. Is that what you're saying? Well, crack cocaine addiction. Okay. Specifically. Cocaine yeah. had been around. We were seeing it, but we were able to deal with it fairly well. Uh, it was the crack that uh, put it over the top, but you know, made it you know an unreachable addiction. And it's and, and it's still considered the same today. Really? Yes. Now, why is it the same today with all the innovation and and research that has been done in those decades? Do you think? Well, the the. Addiction treatment doesn't, you know, conventional addiction treatment doesn't work for anyone. Um, but uh, crack cocaine, again, is, you know, the least um, responsive. Um, so mostly the addiction treatment field has been innovative in the sense of trying to introduce drugs that will help people to withdraw and uh, tolerate life without their drugs uh, because there are new pharmaceutical drugs. And you can imagine how successful that strategy has been. Um, yeah. And why was outpatient such a failure? Is it just because they couldn't keep people in a longer duration to get them off these substances? What do you think of that? Well, it just wasn't intensive enough. They had to be in protective custody, you know, in in a place where they didn't have access, you know, that in an outpatient, you're going to work, you're going to school and you, you know, you have treatment at night or, you know, uh, and you have access to all your friends and all your connections and so forth. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was the problem. But, I, you know, I really think we should move on to um, a happier topic. <laughs> Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, this is this is very interesting, but uh, yeah, definitely. So, so our original topic was, you know, the craving cure and the role of neurotransmitters in in controlling food cravings. Can you elaborate on that approach for us? I mean, I think that's a good bridge from where we started because it all involves neurotransmitters. Am I right? That's right, uh, and all addictions respond to neurotransmitter restoration. But it turns out that the most deadly addiction and the most widespread addiction in this country and worldwide is a food addiction, um, addiction to drug-like foods. And so the advantage of working with this group is that they, it tends to be more stable. You know, you can still work, go to school and so forth, and you know, eat Twinkies all day. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, on the other hand, the, the long-term death rate is very high, you know, from, from diabetes primarily, but 
also from non-alcoholic liver disease, some of the other conditions that are directly attributable to junk food. Right. So given that you know we have a population that's uh, more stable, uh, and given the fact that we learned in the late 1980s how to restore normal neurotransmitter function um, nutritionally and very rapidly, um, we have been enjoying tremendous uh, success uh, with food cravings specifically. So if neurotransmitters become out of balance, how does that process start? I mean, are the people already addictive to nutrient-depleted foods, or is there just an amino acid deficiency not to make enough neurotransmitters? Where does this begin? Well, there's probably, you know, uh, some genetic vulnerability that's inherited. You know, we have quite a number of clients, you know, for whom alcoholism, at least in their family tree, um, has been a factor. Um, and that's always been true uh, for as long as I've been working with food addiction. Uh, but the fact is now that anybody can get addicted. It uh, doesn't matter whether they have genetic problems or not because um, the industry that's producing these edible narcotics um, has been so successful. You know, there's a lot of money put into what they call food science, which is, you know, how to addict the customers more effectively. And um, you might be interested to know, uh, and your audience might be interested to know that the snack food industry was bought up by the tobacco industry um, in the 60s and 70s um, as uh, tobacco was becoming, you know, a dubious enterprise, you know, with, with so many lawsuits and yeah. you know, entire states suing the tobacco industry. I've forgotten how many billion dollars they paid out, um, you know, when it was proven that they knew their stuff was addictive and deadly and so forth. So that has yet to happen with food. Uh, they are uh, operating in plain sight um, as, you know, the most successful um, drug purveyors of all time. Yeah, and in your book, you make a point that food cravings are only a few decades old, that prior to that time period, they didn't exist. So can you can you elaborate on why that is? Well, uh, let's just take some historical perspective. Uh, we were eating and enjoying our eating uh, in, you know, tens of thousands of different cuisines worldwide. Um, all of them essentially uh, composed of healthful foods. Um, over the decades, and well, actually, you know, uh, sugar became an issue really became an issue uh, starting, you know, in the early 1900s when we had more access, more money, um, bigger sugar industry. Um, 
but even so, um, it was pretty much limited to desserts, you know, after a healthful meal where you really weren't so tempted, you know, to go all out. And our desserts were homemade and they included a lot of healthful foods, you know, typically lots of eggs and uh, cream and, you know, healthful um, fruit, nuts, uh, at any rate. And no preservatives. Right, no preservatives. <laughs> yeah. And we were uh, using the original traditional form of sugar called sucrose. Uh, so sucrose uh, is not as addictive. Why? Um, primarily because it's composed of two forms of sugar, glucose, which the body has to have uh, in order to run all of its trillions of cells, um, and fructose, which is not needed. Um, it, you know, presumably could be handy, you know, and it certainly exists in fruit um, because it eventually converts into glucose, but um, it was never um, intended to be uh, a primary fuel for uh, the human body. And in the 70s, uh, they learned how to cleave the bonds between the glucose and the fructose so that they could control how much fructose uh, and how much glucose was um, contained in a given food. And what the reason that this was so helpful to the food industry was that uh, is that fructose is about 10 times more addictive than glucose. And so um, the uh, caffeinated soda industry, you know, were the first to benefit from this by using high fructose corn syrup in Coca-Cola, Pepsi-Cola, and so forth. Um, and um, so that was one of the big factors in the 70s that broke through our, you know, very heavily programmed appetite chemistry. I mean, the the number of factors involved in in what they call satiety, you know, for us to instinctively know which foods to eat, how much, you know, when is enough to stop, and so forth. Um, very carefully, very successfully programmed over millions of years, and suddenly we've lost, we're losing track of it. Um, and so I would say that's the primary thing that happened in the 70s, but there were many other things that happened in the 70s. I have a whole chapter in The Craving Cure on what happened in the 70s that threw us entirely off track and into our current uh, almost apocalyptic. Um, yeah, that's a good word for it. Um, and, and you mentioned fructose, and correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding of the use of fructose is that it bypasses that mechanism in your brain that tells you you're full. Is that accurate, or do I have that wrong? Well, uh, not so much in the brain, but there are there are other mechanisms in the body. Um, insulin, for one, uh, doesn't recognize that it even exists. The insulin producing. Um, you know, uh, the pancreas basically yeah. uh, doesn't recognize it. It just doesn't have a mechanism to address it. So 
that's why um, it, you know, we, we take it in and it all goes to the liver. The liver is trying to process it. It's a foreign, you know, toxic substance. And uh, that's why we have an epidemic of non-alcoholic liver disease now. Uh, it's because of the amount of fructose that the liver, you know, is trying to, and unsuccessful in fully dealing with. Yeah, and, and does fructose, does it spike your blood sugar the same way? Does it affect blood sugar levels um, because the insulin recept receptors don't see it? How does it uh, impact blood sugar? Uh, it doesn't affect the blood sugar initially, but when it converts into glucose, then you have this sort of delayed um, high, high uh, blood sugar situation. What's the process like for somebody who enters your program? Do they, the, the, I'm talking about the food craving program, do they stop all processed foods, cold turkey? Is there a weaning process? How do you approach that when somebody comes in brand Oh, new? we absolutely uh, tell them they can't stop. <laughs> they cannot stop? No. We wow. don't want you to stop okay. until we are clear what are the nutrients that are going to make stopping easy. Oh, wow. We are not going to be another torture chamber for, you know, um, addicted people who, by definition, can't stop. Yeah. That is the definition of addiction. You know, it's an involuntary activity that's uh, stronger than will, much stronger than willpower. So um, until we have the tools uh, at hand, which, you know, doesn't take very long, but it really uh, is so refreshing for people to be told that they can't, they can't start eating healthy food I was yet. just going to say, that's less daunting. <laughs> it's like, oh, I can still eat what I love until we fix it the other way. I mean, that's, right. that's fantastic, Julia. Uh, well, it, it, it's, you know, it takes uh, a, a lot of the strain off of what would, you know, ordinarily be, you know, a pretty stressful um, early you know, I remember working with drug addiction, you know, we didn't have these tools then either, you know, and we were just, you know, working so hard to help them do something that was really not doable uh, and blaming them at the time, you know, not understanding what they were up against yeah. um, for not doing a better job of letting go of it with our wonderful help. Um, <laughs> yeah. So now we really do have wonderful help. And uh, so... We just need to see people. So, you know, now we're an entirely virtual clinic and, uh, you know, we, we arrange for a quick intake that people fill out some forms so that we can get a very quick but thorough idea of what's going on with them. And then we schedule what's called a, a, an amino trialing session where uh, we use the symptoms uh, from their intake forms uh, to help us very quickly identify which of the five areas uh, of the brain um, are malfunctioning. And we know now which nutrients will repair each one of those five systems. And um, so appetite control systems and, uh, you know, some people just have one, but that's unusual. You know, most people have at least two and it's not at all unusual for people to have all five of their appetite you know, control systems uh, malfunctioning. Yeah. And so what what's the most common amino acid that, uh, is there a most common one? Are they all different for different people? What What's the go-to? Well, after the Craving Cure came out, we, we were able to get a better handle on that. Um, 
and um, what we have found is that the most common uh, during COVID it was a neck and neck between the uh, calming neurotransmitter and the uh, pleasure producing uh, pain killing uh, neurotransmitter endorphin mm-hmm. um, and but but over time we've seen that that in fact uh, what we call the comfort craver, uh, who is deficient in endorphin, is the most common type. Um, they are eating for comfort, literally, um, and of emotional pain uh, and discomfort, um, a sense of sadness and hurt and loneliness, regardless of their life circumstances. Um, and you know, those are the people who find that chocolate, especially, which is probably the most successful endorphin booster. Uh, oh, man, I'm feeling it. convicted because that's me. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, <laughs> you're not alone. In fact, uh, when I was researching the craving cure, there was some uh, panic about whether the supply of chocolate was going to be adequate worldwide for the demand. No kidding. Uh, wow. Which, you know, increases every year as the addictiveness of, of uh, the substances. Yeah. Added to chocolate, uh, uh, increase uh, in, in potency. So what you're telling me is I need to enroll. <laughs> uh, well, you could enroll, or you could um, get the mood cure and uh, confirm, you know, your guess by taking the questionnaire, which is online. Right. Uh, also, as well as being in the book, and then you you would you could go directly to the. Um, the uh, two chapters in the middle of the book that are how to tailor an amino acid therapy program to your own brain. Um, hmm. <clears throat> and uh, an experiment. Uh, and uh, apparently a lot of people do that. If, if you go, you know, the Amazon um, book reviews, you'll find a lot of people raving about uh, the success of this strategy and that they were able to figure out for themselves. So, um, the, the, um, the fact that, um, most food addicts are low in, low in endorphin, um, is a good example of how easy this is to fix. Uh, but there are also, as I said, you know, the, the stressed cravers who are eating to, to try and relax and ease the stress. Um, there's also the depressed craver, the anxious craver, low in serotonin, our natural antidepressant, uh, anti-anxiety, uh, natural neurotransmitter. Um, again, uh, easy to correct with a simple nutrient. Wow. Um, so, and it goes on, you know, a lot, the second most common is the hypoglycemic eater who's, you know, we also call them the crash craver who, you know, uh, is drawn to sugar, coffee, uh, things that raise glucose levels and give you a high. And then there's a crash because the uh, pancreas produces the insulin to drag all this excessive sugar out of the bloodstream and suddenly there's not enough. And there you go again, you know, with your favorite chocolate or whatever. Um, so 
that's another one that one of these uh, marvelous amino acids um, can take care of almost instantly. Um, and uh, I've, I've left one out, and that's probably the least uh, common deficiency for a food craver to have, and that's um, uh, what we call them the fatigued craver. They're low in their stimulating mm -hmm. uh, neurotransmitters, so they're, they're more likely to be interested in something caffeinated, you know, so soda addicts. Uh, Starbucks addicts and so forth. That's that person that has like 10 sodas a day because I've met people like that. Right. And yeah. it doesn't matter whether it's, uh, you know, uh, actually calorically sweetened or, or non-calorie sweetened. You know, the same kinds of brain changes occur. Hey, this is Mike C. And we want you to know that we only endorse products we truly believe in. We're an affiliate of best-selling author Dr. Carolyn Dean's RNA Reset Products, home of the famous Remag Liquid Magnesium Supplement. So when you go to RNAreset.com and make any purchases using the coupon code NATURALMAN, we get a commission. So if you like what we do, this is one way you can support the Natural Man podcast. Make your purchase now at RNAreset.com using the coupon code NATURALMAN. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, 4Kids Flashback. 4Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Is there ever a time where your approach doesn't succeed? Do people give up? Do they find it difficult? Like, what's the what's the success rate? Well, it's about ninety percent. Wow, that's impressive. And and even the people, you know, the ten percent. I mean, it's almost unheard of not to get any benefit. You know, yeah. so even the ten percent are improved, but there may be another issue. Um, but frankly, it's so unusual that, you know, my nutritionists don't even report them. You know, um, we, we actually had to do a, a formal, you know, count to, uh, to identify how many of them there might be. Um, so, yeah, this is, you know, part, and part of it, and it's something important to say here that, you know, may never have been said, uh, certainly uh, on the Internet, but... Um, I just said it in an article that I wrote in um, Women's Voice. Uh, some people might be interested in their May edition. Um, and that is that amino acids are the, strangely enough, you know, the most potent of all nutrients as individual supplements. Um, and by their nature, they have myriad 
possible benefits. Yeah. Um, you know, predictable benefits. Um, really, our whole system is made out of amino acids, made out of protein. If if we just you know consumed fat and water um, uh, and sugar, which you know is either burned or converted into fat, uh, we would just be sort of a puddle. But it's the protein, it's the 20 amino acids that create all this incredible diversity of cellular function. Um, so they are miraculously potent, um, potentially miraculously potent in a number of ways. And we are very fortunate that neuroscience identified, uh, and, and this is actually common knowledge in, in any of the... Um, fields that uh, that study cellular chemistry uh, in the body um, that these powerful neurotransmitters and our blood glucose regulator um, all of them are fueled by a sing each one is fueled by a single amino acid wow. um, and that means that it's an ideal problem to deal with with nutritional supplementation because you don't need 12 different supplements to raise serotonin or um, lift endorphin levels. You really, really do just need the right amino acid. Right. And so, so functional medicine docs often tell people to find a protein supplement that has a good balance of all the amino acids. So um, I don't do protein supplements myself. I just consume a lot of protein, you know, in the form of, you know, fish and meats and whatnot. If somebody's regularly taking one of these protein shakes with the full amino acid profile, the, the, the good balance of all of them, can they avoid these issues if they're getting those amino acids from a good supplement, protein supplement? Well, if they can digest them, but most of our clients, you know, the, the food they've been eating has compromised their digestion, you know, like decades before they reach us. Right. Um, so, uh, so that's one issue. But the other issue is that there are almost no protein powders that do have an appropriate array of amino acid content. Is that right? The, the only one is, is whey. Huh. You can, you can get free form amino supplements. I helped to design the one that I think is the best, it's called Total Amino Solutions. I don't own it, you know, I don't make any profit from it, but mm -hmm. um, I helped design it. Um, and that people can feel right away, partially because it's free form, it's not food. In food, all of the amino acids are bound together, so it's you really have to be able to, to digest in order to break the, the bonds and utilize the uh, amino acids. But Plant proteins just don't have very many amino acids in any appreciable amount. Hmm. You know, they'll have a few that, you know, there's plenty of, but then so many of them don't have any tryptophan, which is our natural antidepressant. And in fact, the, um, the bodybuilders uh, are, uh, are reporting high rates of depression because they're so dependent on um, branch-chain amino acids, mm -hmm. which are very, you know, they're only like three or four aminos in that. 
and they've created this imbalance, even though they tend to eat a lot of protein, um, this imbalance is created especially because there's no tryptophan in branched-chain aminos. Um, so uh, protein powders are, are a problem, um, except for people who do well with whey, you know. So, yeah. you know, there, unfortunately, there are, you know, a lot of people who don't do well with uh, with dairy proteins. Um, but a lot of people do better with whey, for example, than casein, the other protein in dairy products. Um, have I answered your question? Yeah, absolutely. No, d- no, definitely, okay. definitely. Thank you. Um, and another thing I was going to ask you was there's a, a wide variety of people, different kinds of people who have food cravings. Why is it that some put on a lot of weight and some don't? I know people who are uh, you know, thin as a rail and they have food cravings. So what, where's the difference there? Well, uh, again, we've got genetics. Um, uh, and, but, but there are other big issues. Um, and as in all addictions, there are degrees, you know, some people are addicted to chocolate, but they have, a ch- you know, four squares of chocolate every afternoon, you know, yeah. <laughs> they can't do without, but, uh, it's not hurting them. Uh, I feel like you have a camera way. on my house now by you saying that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm going to ask you the embarrassing question. How much chocolate do you need in a day? Um, a I day? mean, I, I purposely don't do it every day. So I do it every other day. Um, but I'll have like one, I don't measure the amount, but like I'll have a, a chocolate bar sized. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. Yeah. So a, a, a full bar, not a big bar, just an average sized chocolate bar. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so you're on the, um, the low end of the addiction scale. Okay. That's, that uh, sounds fair. You, yeah. Because <laughs> there are people who eat, you know, 10 or 20 or the equivalent every day. Oh, I couldn't do that. Okay, well, that's why you're not obese, Um, or at least that's one reason. So here's the other thing that's so tragic is that um, people who develop these um, brain neurotransmitter deficiencies and lose control of their intake of high-calorie nutrient-void foods um, become desperate uh, and... This is another thing that's actually started in the 60s. We started to experiment with low-calorie dieting. Um, and it's still the only thing people know to try. You know, if, if, you, if I'm eating too much, the solution is to not eat any. Uh, but there's a problem with that. Um, there are lots of problems with that. Uh, people are already malnourished because, you know, junk food just doesn't have nutrients in it except for calories. Um, and then... Uh, and then they, they switch to not having any food or very, very little. Um, and one of the first things that happens when you cut your calories way back is that the thyroid turns down. And the thyroid is really in control of calorie burning. So the thi- you but, become hypothyroid when you stop that? Is that what you're yes. saying? Yes. Wow. Yeah, it's an automatic survival mechanism because... You know, the body is, is really only familiar with um, phenomena like famine. 
and um, during a famine you have to conserve as much as possible you don't want to burn because you know <laughs> you disappear um, so the thyroid turns down and some people are more efficient at turning down their thyroids than others and some of them are less efficient at turning them back on when they start eating and so there's you know too many calories versus not enough calories um, accounts for an awful lot of obesity wow this is probably a stupid question at this point but I guess it's safe to say that every food craving has an emotional component. There is no other reason for that. Well, um, I, I think probably it's important to get some perspective on what, what exactly do these neurotransmitters do? They don't just regulate our appetites. They also uh, regulate our moods. Right. So if we are deficient, we are going to have appetite problems and mood problems. You know, some people just have mood problems, um, but that's unusual. I mean, we, we, we never see an overeater who doesn't have some mood problems. Hmm. Um, so, you know, that's part of the tragedy of, of uh, neurotransmitter deficiency is that it targets our moods as well as our you know, our, our appetite. So our physical health and our mental health, you know, suffer so much. And now, you know, we're seeing both um, in, at, at all ages. And do you ever see a correlation between addictive behaviors in that are people with food cravings more susceptible to doing you know, a drug addiction or alcoholism or, or anything like that? Is there, do you see overlap there ever or are they different? Well, if there's a family history of alcoholism or, you know, some sort of addiction, then it can go either way. You know, like the children of alcoholics either become alcoholic or they become food addicts typically. Um, but that, the, the, Alcohol is just one of the possibilities now, you know. Right. Um, with pot being, you know, so potent and yeah. um, so many street drugs available. Um, but that vulnerability, you know, not making adequate neurotransmitters, you know, that can be, you know, inborn. Um, you, know, we, you know, we all know that we have our own vulnerabilities. You know, when I was growing up, I would visit my friend's houses, you know, they meet their parents. And uh, I was surprised to find, you know, that some of them were grouchy and some of them were jolly and mm -hmm. um, some of them were really quiet. And, um, and I could see that they were born that way and they wouldn't even talk about it. Oh, yeah. My parents were real quiet, too, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there, you know, we all have, you know, personalities that are um, affected by our neurotransmitter function, the inherited neurotransmitter function. Um, so that's um, that's a lot of what the connection is, and um, 
one of the things that, that I should tell you is when we started working with cocaine addicts, not the crack addicts, but the cocaine addicts who would actually stick in our programs, they would all gain 30 pounds in 30 days. Really? Yes. Every single one of them. Now, why is that? Clockwork. And it, yeah, it happened right away. And because they were using the drug sugar to try and stay away from the drug cocaine. Ah, okay. So one replaced another. Yeah. What? So one replaced another. Right. Coffee and sugar. um, I mean, it wasn't a, you know, perfect uh, solution, but they got enough uh, boost, you know, the... um, the drug-like boost from the sugar and coffee to hang on. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that, and it, you know, a lot of people talk about how um, how they relapse, you know, and that junk food is is a big part of it. Um, I remember one one uh, recovering alcoholic who spoke at a monthly meeting of um, family and graduates of a treatment program and he'd been out for a few months and he said it was real clear to him that part of being inpatient was that he he had three meals a day he could only have decaf coffee and he started feeling better physically better and and mentally than he'd felt in a really long time Um, but when he got out um, they wanted him to do 90 and 90, which means going to an AA meeting every day for 90 days. And that meant he didn't have time to work and eat properly. Um, and he could feel himself going downhill. Um, wow. So, uh, so that food creates this, you know, or perpetuates the deficiency. The junk food perpetuates the the neurotransmitter deficiencies that caused the addiction, you know, to take hold in the first place. Um, yeah. And it's part of the reason that the drug treatment programs report 90 to 100% relapse. They're just not looking at the neurotransmitter side of it. No, and they're they're not looking at diet as a, you know, as a uh, an addictive drug. Now, you're an expert in treating sleep issues we we spent an hour talking about that last time you were here <laughs> right. which uh which i can't tell you how much i enjoyed that um you have such a <laughs> unique approach and i i i've already told you i'm a fan of your work and i'm going to say it again um amazing work in sleep medicine um you've done thank you absolutely now do the people who deal with these addictions ever also have sleep issues because this is all neurotransmitter related. Um, do, you, do you notice that? Do you ever have to tackle insomnia along with addictions in the same patients? Oh, sure. Uh, you know, there are, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I think the statistics show that the majority of adults suffer some degree of insomnia in the United States. Um, so we don't find it any more common uh, among addicted people than non-addicted people, um, but um, again, it's, you know, it's pretty easy to identify what the cause is, and quite often, you know, it's related to their cravings. So, right. for example, if they have the, the, uh, the depressed uh, and anxious low serotonin 
kind of cravings that certain foods will relieve temporarily. Um, they're very likely also to have a type of insomnia that's caused by serotonin deficiency because um, most people don't know this, but serotonin, our, our sunshine, you know, antidepressant neurotransmitter, uh, converts uh, as the day goes on and, and uh, gets darker as the sun drops, um, the serotonin converts into melatonin. Right. So if you don't have enough serotonin anyway, you're not going to have enough melatonin. And uh, sometimes just by giving them the amino acid that, that uh, so quickly raises their serotonin levels, um, then, then they start converting to melatonin and, and the, uh, the sleep issue is, is solved along with the mood and craving issues. Yeah, tryptophan is probably the most potent sleep aid I've ever needed to reach for um, if, I, if I'm restless on a particular night, which thankfully is not, not common, but, um, yeah, tryptophan is it. That's one of my favorite go-tos for sleep. <laughs> well, unfortunately it doesn't work for everybody. That's why we talked about insomnia for three, for an hour. Um, <laughs> but, uh, among the amino acids, it is definitely, um, the, uh, the most successful strategy. Uh, but then we have our, our, um, stressed cravers uh, and oftentimes they're not getting to sleep because of stress you know they're worrying right they're um, you know their adrenaline is high at the wrong time and uh, so they're eating over it and when we give them uh, a supplement called GABA uh, they uh, their natural ability to relax increases because GABA is our relaxing neurotransmitter and so then they can sleep better. Yeah. So it really, you know, whatever is going to work for them depends on their chemistry. Um, and then we have other, you know, other sleep strategies too if, if those don't work. Yeah. It's amazing what's available out there on the nutritional front for uh, sleep issues. Um, I think a lot of people don't know the different things that are available. And um, you touch on so many of them in your program, and I think it's uh, I think it's awesome. I mean, that's that's why we wanted to get the word out, and that's why we had you on to talk about insomnia. Um, well, we have you know we have the the program for cravers and and what we call false moods, um, people with false moods. But um, we have a separate program for people who really just have the insomnia. And uh, those people have usually looked around a lot, you know, yeah. before they get to us. Um, so we don't bother going back over the, the ground they've already covered, but, you know, we'll move them through the other things that we know, you know, pretty fast. Right. And uh, enjoy working with them because usually we can help them. Yeah. Do you think that we could avoid all these issues, <laughs> cravings? sleep if we all just stuck to a more ancestral diet? Oh, no question. Although we're so depleted now, um, you know, that we typically need uh, supplements for a while to restore levels. But uh, yeah, there's no question. It's just that people can't because they're too addicted to the non-ancestral diet. Yeah. Um, which is not addictive, which is addictive. You know, the ancestral diet is not. It can't compete 
with, you know, Skittles and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Julia, um, this has been fun. Julia Ross, juliarosscures.com is the website. That's where they can get more information on your book and your programs. Is that right? Yes. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure we put that in the show notes. And uh, thank you. I, you know what? You're such a great guest. Um, I say that a lot. I'm, I'm blessed with the amazing people that come on here. I hope you'll come back and hang out with us. I'd love to. You are one of my all-time favorite interviewers. Oh, awesome. Well, now you're making me blush. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Too bad it's just audio. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Julia, for being here. And um, we really appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again. So thanks for making the time. You're welcome. Bye-bye. That'll do it for this edition of the Natural Man Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to us. Check out our website, naturalmanpodcast.com, and download us wherever you listen to your podcasts. And make sure you subscribe. Until next time, I'm Mike C. Stay healthy. The Natural Man Podcast. Check us out, naturalmanpodcast.com. Kids. I'm your eager beaver. And I'm Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics or hate politics, then have we, we the perfect, perfect podcast for you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date and give you the political and media literacy you seek. To help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed and engaged has never been more fabulous or sexy catch us on, on the dean blundell network or on our youtube channel or wherever you get your podcasts because democracy is something, something you do come on a journey like no other where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier healthier and more stress-free life and the beauty is you don't need any vacation time for this adventure the journey will come to you join avery rich on your very own journey into yoga Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.